Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. All right, well, good morning. I'm Daniel Braswell, another one of the chaplains at Walter Reed at Department of Pastoral Care. And we're so glad that you joined us uh, today. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 1. I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 1. As we look at this subject today, God's will for dummies, or how to do the will of God during COVID-19. As I was sharing with some people, uh, what my sermon title was, some people said, wow, that's going to fit me perfectly. That's exactly what I need, like one of those four dummies books. I had several people also reach back out to me and say, I know a lot of other people that need to look, need to look at it that way. Well, today we're going to look at the first psalm. And as we look at the first psalm, I believe we're going to see a lot of things about God's will. Chaplains get asked all the time, how do I know God's will? How can I know God's will for my life? Well, Psalm chapter 1 is one of these psalms that someone first referred to it as a wisdom psalm, meaning that it tells you in general truths the way that is God's way, and it essentially is a psalm about two different ways. That is the way of the righteous, and then there is the way of the wicked. It's one of those, like a fork in the road. That phrase was said famously by uh, Yogi Berra, a famous baseball player. He was a 15-time All-Star. Uh, played for the Yankees, MVP three times. He played in 14 World Series. Yogi Berra, he also joined the Navy at age 18. And you may have not known this. I was uh, surprised, to, or maybe I was reminded of this, that he participated in the D-Day invasion at Omaha Beach in World War II. He's deservedly known as a great baseball player, but he had many yogiisms. I'll share with you some of my favorites that he said. Some of these wisdom statements from the great Yogi Berra. He said, it ain't over till it's over. He said, I really didn't say everything I said. I really didn't say everything I said. He said this, he said, never answer an anonymous letter. Don't answer them. He would tell people, I usually take a two-hour nap in the afternoon between one and four. Uh, there was another time Yogi Berra, he was wearing some sunglasses and a lady came up to him and said, Yogi, you look cool. And he turned right back and he said, well, ma'am, you don't look so hot yourself. <laughs> and then finally, his famous one that I alluded to earlier, he said, when you come to a fork in the road, he said, take it. Well, that's what we're talking about when we talk about God's will. We answer those great questions of life. Uh, for some people, uh, maybe the graduates of 2020 who are having quite a unique year to graduate, they're asking questions like, where will I go to school? How do I know if my college is even going to be open in the fall of 2020? What's going on? Will I marry? Will I remain single? Who will I marry? How many children will I have? Will I take this job? Will I take that job? Sometimes we get those kinds of questions about God's will. But what I want to focus on today in terms of God's will are not necessarily those questions where it's specific decisions of do I do the left or do I do the right? Do I take this job or do I take that job? Do I eat vanilla ice cream or do I eat chocolate ice cream? The type of the will of God that I want to focus on today is what Psalm chapter 1 leads us to ponder, and that is this, this statement, 
you and I, you cannot do the will of God and break the word of God. I'm going to say that again. You cannot do the will of God and break the word of God. Our focus today are going to be those things that we clearly can see are God's will for our lives. It is those things we don't have to wonder. It is those things if we stop, we know exactly what we need to do. It is one thing to say, I know God's will. It's quite another to say that I know God's will, but that I will do and that I will obey God's will. There are times in your life and in mine when what we need to do is clear. And it is those times that this passage is referring to, and that's what our focus is going to be today. Back when I was a youth pastor, I remember we started a, a young single adult class. Many of my, many of my youth, I was, I was at the church long enough to see them graduate high school and grow up, and we kind of continued a ministry, and we had, uh, we had young people come into a, to a Bible study. And this one young man, he was sharing with me some of the struggles uh, in his life, and he was, he was, he was confessing uh, to, to, me, to me, so to speak. He was sharing with me some of the things that he had felt guilt about. Ed, he started telling me about his partying lifestyle, heavy drinking, drug use, sexual promiscuity. He's, he's telling me all these things that, that, that anybody can get wrapped up into, but especially for a young person in, in challenging days. And he was, he was one of those who just fell into those traps of sin. And he was sharing those things with me. And I remember as he told me about all these things he was into, and he told me, I need to figure out God's will for my life. I need to figure out how to stop these things. I remember as I was... Just hearing him, I asked him a simple question that I believe the Lord led me to say. I, I, I said, I said, well, tell me, when you do these things that you're saying you need to quit doing, do you do these things by yourself, or is there a certain group of friends that you, you get around and you do these things? And he hung his head very low. And he said, yes, when, when, I, when I do all these things that I know are wrong, I'm doing it with a certain group of friends. And without me even saying it, he hung his head even lower and said, you're telling me, that I'm going to have to change some things. I'm going to have to change my friends so that I can do the will of God, so that I can quit doing all these destructive, sinful behaviors. And I, sad to say, he went away very sad, and to my knowledge, at least while I was there, he continued down that path because he knew the will of God. However, like I said, you and I can experience it many times in our life. It's one thing to say, I know the will of God. It's another thing to say, I'm going to do the will of God. Many things in this world, sometimes decisions are very complicated, but sometimes they're very, very simple. I want to share with you in Psalm chapter 1, I want you to follow along if you have a Bible close at hand, and I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to look at this passage this morning, God's will for dummies, or God's will for all of us. How, how do we obey God's will during these days and these times? I want you to follow along. I'm going to begin in verse 1, and the psalmist says this, he says, blessed, some translations say happy, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Verse number four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In this very simple psalm that talks about two paths, I want to share with you three ways that you and I can know the will of God. The first one is this simple statement. The first one is this. Number one, don't even go there. Don't even go there. In other words, those things, those paths that are destructive, those paths that are sinful, don't even go there. I want you to notice, I want you to notice a pattern that he, that, he, that he sees here. He says, walk, stand, and sit in those verses, and then it's counsel and the path and the seat and the ungodly and the sinners and the scornful. Look at it with me in verse 1. He says, it's a progression. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't even go there. He starts with saying, don't walk with the wicked. That is, don't go with them. Uh, he uses the word blessedness. And like I shared with you already, it's the idea of happiness. It's the idea of fulfillment. It's the idea of contentment. Blessed is the man who does these things. Where you walk will shape your conduct. Very simply, be careful where you go. The progression here is destructive. Walking, standing, and then sitting. But it starts with a walk. A mere association with people from whom the things of God matter little. Be careful where you go. Be wise concerning the people you listen to. Not all advice is good advice. The psalmist is talking about counsel of the wicked. So if you walk and I walk in that counsel, it's going to lead us to destructive behaviors. Dave Ramsey, he's a famous uh, financial uh, advisor and, and, and has put together great products about those kinds of things. He said, don't, if you're trying to build your wealth or get out of debt or do better financially, don't get your advice from your broke brother-in-law who has all the answers. Well, well he's $20,000 in debt and, and he, you know, he, he, he can't rub two quarters together. Well, don't get your financial advice from your broke brother-in-law, Dave Ramsey says. This psalm is saying, don't even go there. Don't walk down the road of getting counsel or doing what wicked people do. He says, if you do that, you're, you're heading for destruction. So don't walk that way. But he also says what? Don't stand with them. Don't even go there. Don't walk, but also don't stand. What does it mean to stand in the way of sinners? Well, it's the idea of staying a little while, stopping to look and listen, hanging around with. It's one thing to walk by and see something in passing. It's another thing to stop and plant myself and to begin to have a conversation. And don't stand in that way or in that, some trans translations say, the path of sinners. That is the, 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 the way that they go, uh, the, that manner of life, the way that one lives. And he says, don't stand where? In the path of who? He's already used the word wicked, but then he says, and it's still in verse 1, he says, stand in the way of sinners. That is, those who we know from the New Testament, the word sin to, like an arrow, to miss the mark. But because that is their path, sin is the habit of their life. Instead of like in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about imitating Christ, if we walk down this path, and then not only walk, but stand there and stay there a little while, we don't imitate Christ, we begin to imitate sinners. 
So we don't, don't even go there. Don't walk. Don't stand. But notice the progression. Look at the last part of verse number one. Sitting in the seat of scoffers or sitting in the seat of fools. Uh, you and I, we move from thinking like the wicked to living like those who are sinful and those rebellious, but to ridiculing like the cynic. You and I become comfortable here, walking, standing, but then just take a seat and be comfortable. And he uses this word. He says, the scoffers. As I was studying, some translations say the mockers. It, it describes the proud and the self-sufficient. It describes when you and I have this attitude. I don't need God. I'll simply live my way. Let me share with you a couple of Proverbs that point to this as well. Proverbs 21, 24. Proverbs 21, 24, another place in the scripture that says this. The proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. That's the end of the progression of walking and standing and sitting. Let me read to you Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. Listen to what, what this proverb says about, about those who mock. It says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Verse 34 of Proverbs 3, He mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. In this, in this idea, there's two ways when it comes to the decisions many times that we make and the life we choose to live. This, this psalmist is saying, don't even go there. Don't sit and don't get comfortable. Where we sit and where we're comfortable, as Peter Kreeft pointed out, you are whatever you love. The psalmist is warning us, be careful what you're comfortable with and be careful what you love. He says it'll be like the chaff that the wind drives away. We'll say more about that later. We won't stand to judgment. We won't stand with the righteous. It even uses the word, we'll perish. So point number one, the first way we can know God's will is when it comes to an unrighteous or an ungodly way, don't even go there. Are there places in your life right now and in my life right now where I am walking that way? Are there places where I'm standing that way? Are there places where not only am I walking, not only am I standing, but I'm literally sitting comfortably with the wicked and saying, I know what God says. I don't need anybody to tell me, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That is a definition of a prideful mocker. Don't even go there. So that's point number one. Point number two is this. Don't go there, but number two, simply... The focal point of this passage in many ways is to delight in God himself. Uh, to delight in God. He says in verse 2, look at it again. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That is the blessed man. He, the whole start of the chapter is, well, here's what the happy man is. He's saying, here's what the blessed man doesn't do. That's the don't even go there part. Now, what does the blessed man do? Well, he delights in God. He delights, first of all, you see here in God's word. It says that he's going to delight to meditate on it day and night. He's going to take joy, that which gives one pleasure. The law of the Lord, which is a synonym for the word of God. I want you to notice it uses the word meditate here. Now I want to point this out. In many circles today, the idea of meditate is to 
for me to empty my mind and to clear my mind of all things. Sometimes that's what people mean when they say the word meditate. If I meditate, I'm clearing my thoughts. I'm clearing my mind. I've been accused of being empty-headed before. I don't know if that's what it means. But let me tell you this. That's not what this psalmist is talking about. When he says that the, the light is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on the Lord, he's not saying for me to clear my mind. He's actually telling me to fill my mind. It is the very simple concept of garbage in, garbage out. It is a simple concept of I need to fill my mind with the scriptures. He's saying that meditating on scripture means that I spend time reading it. I spend time pondering it. I spend time memorizing it. Meditate means to weigh it carefully, to spend time to think about it. And he says to do that day and night. The pattern is simply, as we delight in God and delight in His Word, what will begin to happen is that our thoughts will go that direction. In Joshua chapter 1, when, when, he, when he gives that great command, he says, Keep this book of the law, he tells the children of Israel, always on your lips. He says, Meditate on it. There it is, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and you'll be prosperous and successful. This, this person, is he's saying yes to God's word. He's also saying yes to God's wisdom. When we delight in God, we're saying we want to go God's way. And there's some byproducts to go in God's way. You know, he says in, in this passage in verse 3, he says that this man, he's like a tree. He says he's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. He's saying in this, as we delight in God, we're going to say yes to God's word. We're going to say yes to God's wisdom. And we're going to say yes to God's will. Because saying yes to God's will, then we become like that tree. I can't help but think of Romans chapter 12 that says that God's will is that good and acceptable and perfect gift. We delight in God. As we said at the beginning, it's one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to obey God's will. What, is a, what does it mean, this idea of, 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 of a spiritually prosperous life? What, what does delight in God, what does that even look like? Well, it says here that we'll walk in the counsel of the godly. In other words, who we listen to. I'm going to tell you a secret that I've found as a chaplain, and I've talked to other chaplains, and I've talked to other pastors. Here's how many times... When, when, when people come for counseling, here's how it goes. You ready? I'll share it with you. Of course, we have all, we won't, we'll never break confidentiality. All confidentiality is there, but I'll share with you a, a simple pattern. What happens many, many times is people will come to a pastor and they will be asking advice, but what they really want is they've already made up their mind exactly what they're going to do, and they want you to agree with them. And if I, after weighing things, if I don't agree with them, they'll just go to another person. And eventually, they'll find somebody who agrees with what they already want to listen to. But God says in here, God's wisdom is we will walk in the counsel of the godly. That means as I'm seeking God's will for my life, I'm not going to come to it and say, I know what's best. I need to listen to others, to others who are godly. I need to consider those sources. Proverbs said this about those mockers. Uh, Proverbs 15 said, mockers resent correction. So they avoid the wise. They go back to the broke brother-in-law for financial advice. They go, they go over here for advice. They go over here in that crowd that 
maybe they were standing and walking and sitting with for advice. And when we do that, what begins to happen is all of a sudden we're not on the road to the righteous. We're on the ungodly road once again. But delighting in God means that we say yes to God's ways. Now, I want to share with you another point. It's not just saying no to those things that are ungodly and saying yes to God. He, he makes an interesting statement in verse 4. Uh, he, he says, uh, excuse me, in verse 6, he says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. So point number three is this. Ensure that God watches over your way. In my translation here, the English Standard Version says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. As I studied this, it carries this idea that God is watching over the way of this righteous person. Ensure that God is watching over your way. Well, how do we do that? Well, we decide to live a useful life. Look at verse number four. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. To, to, to ensure that God is watching over our way, we don't want to be useless. He says here, not so the ungodly, and he uses this language of chaff. Uh, chaff is the ultimate in what is rootless and weightless and useless. He, it has no foundation. Uh, the, the people of, of this day, a very, very agricultural society, would have, would have understood clearly what this idea of chaff was. Let me, let me share a little bit about it with you. At harvest time, uh, people would, they would have the corn. It would be threshed and it would be winnowed on a local threshing floor. Typically, they'd try to do it on the, on the top of a hill or a mountain so that they could get close to those winds because blowing the wind is what got rid of the chaff. And as they did the winnowing, the corn, they would, they would harvest it. But it would be mixed with broken straw and, and it would be with the chaff. And what they would do is they would simply throw it into the wind and guess what would happen? It would separate the heavy grain from the lighter straw while the chaff was just sort of blown away. Chaff provides a description of all that was passing and that was useless because the chaff did no one any good. He's saying that the wicked, as opposed to the godly, are flourishing and they're useful and they're profitable. He's saying the chaff is, is useless. It is the life of a spiritual lightweight. Uh, nobody who lifts weights and goes to a gym wants to be called a lightweight. Nobody who lifts weights wants to be say, oh, you look kind of small. Oh, that's some small weights you're lifting. But, beloved, what I'm more concerned about is am I a spiritual lightweight? Don't be chaff. Have a useful life. Don't, don't, don't waste our life. What is useful to you? What is important to you? How to ensure God watches over our way? We live a useful life. That is doing the things God has called us to do, but, but also living a happy life. Remember, he starts the whole psalm with this idea of happiness, being blessed. The idea of what does it mean to have true contentment? If we're going to ensure that God is watching over our way, we have to think through how is it to live this blessed life? How is it to live this happy life? Many times the challenge with that is it, it, it is very circumstantial for us many times. I, I couldn't help but think about different scenarios in which depict the idea of happiness or the idea of sadness. When I, when I thought about like this blissful happiness where nothing bad ever happens, I thought of some of you may be familiar with, with some of the Disney, sort of the, uh, the high school musical, any of the, any of the movies that Disney ever put out that kind of center around teenagers in their life. If you look at those movies or you look at those sort of sitcoms, the idea is like no problem is too great for 
a song and dance well choreographed and, and cool hip music. If that happens, everything's happy. And some of you, maybe that's, maybe that's what you think. Well, I, I feel bad because one day your life's not going to be that way. I got a feeling it's probably already not. Because many of you are on the other side. You think of, you think of tragedy. You think of that great uh, tragedy of, of Shakespeare's Hamlet. I went back and I, I remembered a little bit about that story, but I went back and looked and good night, everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Hamlet's got this duel with Laertes. Hamlet gets stabbed with the sword, which is poisonous, and then they take a break and the king tells Hamlet to drink from the poison cup and Hamlet's mom drinks the cup. Oh, it's terrible. I could go on and on. Everybody dies. Everything's horrible. And in one of the scenes, it's, it's said like this, just this very melancholy, depressing. Let me read it to you. To die, to sleep, to sleep for a chance to dream, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? When we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. Very, very sad, very depressing. What this passage is saying is that the blessed life is not going to come through circumstances, but living the blessed life is going to ensure that the last thing that he talks about in verse number six takes place. It is to ensure that God knows your way, that you are living in a way that ensures that if you and I are looking for our circumstances to make us happy, it's either going to be a song and dance sometimes, or it's going to be super tragic or somewhere in between. But what he's saying is that to ensure God watches over our way, we live the happy life. What happens to you and I many times as we do this? We spend our time fearing future misery that we don't even know if it's going to happen or not or thirsting for some future happiness. And the problem is when we try to find our happiness in those circumstances. He says in this chapter, we'll go back to the root, that God's way is rooted like a tree. I want you to understand that to ensure God knows your way, you have to be rooted in God. In other words, the roots in verse 3, he's planted by streams of water. He's planted there, and it yields fruit. Why does he yield fruit? Because he's planted by the water. He's got plenty of nourishment. The roots and the stability of being planted and of flourishing is there because it is rooted in God. The happy man is like a tree with deep roots anchoring him. And that is one of the cultural myths that you and I buy into. It is this myth, the belief that happiness comes from complete freedom. Now, I don't mean being against freedom like freedom like America, freedom. Now, that, that's good. What I mean is this, this idea that, that we're going to be happy when we answer to no one. When I'm free to make all my own rules, when I can define my own meaning, when I'm like a room without a roof. Well, C.S. Lewis, he compared that to a fish that decides he wants to be free by escaping the confines of the water. He may be free from the water, but in the end, will he be happy? No, because the fish was made for water. Beloved, you and I will never be happy trying to find our own freedom because you and I are made to be rooted in God. Live that happy life. Be ensured that God has you. Ensure that God is watching over your way. Also has to do with not just a happy life, but a hopeful life. 
This verse 6 summarizes the end of every life if you think about it. The Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In a world of many complicated things, this simple psalm is reminding us of something that permeates Scripture. There are really only two ways. Jesus talks about the two ways. He talks about two gates. He talks about two roads, a broad one and a narrow. He talks about two trees. There's two types of fruit. There's two houses, and there's two foundations. Even the most famous verse in Scripture, if you read it carefully, is really talking about two ways. Everybody knows John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish. You know the verse. But verses 17 and 18 say God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He says in verse 18 that he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Psalm 1, written several hundred years before Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, is simply a precursor to the same simple truth. Those who don't have God watching over their way will not stand in judgment. When it comes to a time to stand before God and give an account, those will not have a leg to stand on nor sinners in the congregation of the, of the righteous because there won't be a place among God's people. Other verses say the same thing. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus makes the statement, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The Old Testament in Jeremiah says, Obey my voice, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Walk in the way that I commanded you and it'll be well with you. One of the saddest passages in all the Bible is in Luke when Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then he goes on to talk about the foundation on the rock and the foundation that's not on the rock. You cannot do the will of God while remaining disobedient to God. The good news of Scripture is this. When you look at verse 6 and it talks about there's only two ways, the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. We read the scripture as a whole and we know the good news is that the message of salvation is available for all. Jesus came to this earth just a couple of weeks ago. We were celebrating the resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for the sins of the world. The Bible says that three days later he rose again, that now he's at the right hand of God. And now the message of the Bible is that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the thing that's important for you and I to understand. We cannot perfectly live the righteous life. This passage talks about the comparison, uh, contrasting the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But as we read all of Scripture, we learn we cannot be righteous ourselves. I, life doesn't work like a set of scales. God's not going to go, well, uh, chaplain, you did some good over here and did some bad over here, and if your good outweighs your bad, you're going to be okay. That's not what he's saying. The way that I can truly ensure that God is watching over my way is know that I have trusted Christ as my Savior and that Jesus has paid for my sins on the cross. And the same goes for you. The good news is God is still giving you and I an opportunity for obedience. Maybe uh, today 
you're, you're listening to this and you say, well, well, chaplain, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. Well, I have good news for you. He's saying, God is saying to you that if you simply believe in him, you won't perish and you won't be down the road of the wicked, but you'll have everlasting life. You may be here and you, you, may, you may be a Christian. You may say, well, I've, I've trusted Christ, but there's some times where I've been walking and I've stood and I've sat down this road and, and I've gone off track. Well, God still wants to continue to ensure that you are living a Christian life and a faithful life, and he has a, a blessed life for you, but it's only going to come as we walk in his way. But the good news is that it's never too late, as long as we're still alive, it's never, ever too late to turn and ensure that God is watching over your way because he says in verse 6, the way of the wicked will perish, but the good news is that God is still reaching out to save us and give us that eternal life. And as I was thinking this week, I went, I went across uh, Henry Blackaby. He was an author. He wrote a great Bible study called Experiencing God. I went back and looked at some of his writings, and he shared a story from 1983. Some of you may remember this. It was a lady by the name of Carla Faye Tucker. This happened in Texas. She was uh, the first uh, woman uh, to, to die by execution in Texas since like the 70s. And on June 13, 1983, Carla Faye Tucker and her boyfriend, they were high on drugs. They committed a brutal double homicide while they tried to steal a motorcycle. Let me share with you the story as Henry Blackaby shared it. 35 days later, they were arrested and ultimately sentenced to be executed for their crime. In many ways, the tragic events in Tucker's life were simply the lowest point in a disturbing life story. Listen to this. She grew up in a home whose parents constantly fought and divorced. She used drugs for the first time when she was seven years old. By the time she reached the seventh grade, she was using drugs heavily and dropped out of school. Age 14, followed her mother into prostitution. She married and divorced and continued her life in a downward spiral until that fateful June night. While awaiting her trial, however, listen to this, Carla Faye met Christ and realized that despite her horrendous lifestyle and hardened heart, God still loved her. God still ensured that she was with the way of the righteous. She began a 14-year odyssey on death row at Mountain View Prison in Gatesville, Texas. Now listen to this. During that time in prison, she began to study her Bible, and she took the Experiencing God Bible study. Prison officials credited her with saving two inmates from committing suicide and encouraging numerous other people. Before she was executed, she was interviewed on Larry King live, and he said this to her. He said, can you explain that to me a little more? It can't just be God. And here's what she said. She smiled and replied, Yes, it can. It's called the joy of the Lord. When you've done something like I've done, you've been forgiven for it and your love, that has a way of so changing you. I've experienced real love, and I know what forgiveness is. And she says, I know this because Jesus forgave me when I accepted what he did on the cross. When I leave here, I'm going to be with him. God is still in the business of saving. Amen. When we talk about knowing God's will for our life, I want you to know that God's way is a blessed way. And that no matter where you and I find ourselves right now, just like Carla Faye Tucker, we can ensure that God is watching over us and that we are walking the way of the righteous by trusting in him. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we lift up our hearts to you, and we pray that we would ask ourselves, where are we walking and standing and sitting, and where are we planted? God, may we as your people be planted in you, and may we not only say we know your will, but God, may we do your will for our lives. May you lead us. And Heavenly Father, may we know your love each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.